Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. I am Kyle Meinke. I'm beat writer for MLife, joined as always by Ben Raven. Ben, the Lions are back to work today after their um, thrilling win in Green Bay. That means we're back to work. Three and one start for Detroit, all alone atop the NFC North. Uh, a Carolina team coming up this week where the Lions have a bit of revenge on, yeah. on the mind after what <laughs> went down in Carolina last year. Yeah, nine-point favorites. So that really just speaks to you how far ahead this team is, even compared to last year. I mean, I know the Panthers have gone through a lot of changes, rookie quarterback, a lot of changes to their backfield in the offense, but this is still a team that did whatever the heck they wanted to against the hottest Lions team that's been seen around these parts in a second. And there's definitely a Lee McNeil didn't hide it. Like, yeah, I'd be lying to you. I'd be, be fooling with you if I said there wasn't a motivation to get back at this team. It was like 328 rushing yards and a 48-point day for the lowly, lowly, lowly Panthers. I mean, that was a terrible team, and they had 200-yard rushers at halftime. It was the worst half of defending the run in Lions history. I mean, I remember being down there, but it was the first drive. There was five runs on Carolina's first drive, all runs. Two of them go up for 30-plus. Three were explosives. It, It set the tone for just an unspeakable day. It was really befuddling because they were playing good ball before that, winning three straight. Uh, they won out after that too. Uh, it was only lost in the last like five or six weeks of the season. Um, but it was a terrible, unsightly loss. And I will give them credit then. <laughs> As the rematch comes up here uh, in week five, they have the number one rush defense in the league. Uh, obviously, it's a small sample size, but they have allowed each of their opponents this year to have their worst game on the ground. Well, four teams they played this year, their, their fewest rushing yards against Detroit. I think that really is telling, especially when you face a Kenneth Walker, um, you face a, a Bijan Robinson. I'm curious, how much do you buy into the Lions as a elite run defense? I have to buy into it now because these last two teams are all about pounding the rock. I mean, Aaron Jones was back on the field for the Packers. They got A.J. Dillon. You got love. You got to respect the quarterback. Had to respect the play action both those games, and it was still just like dominant. I mean, the Falcons, it's so much more than Bajan to that rushing attack, but he's like a phenom rookie. And the what they did to him, what they did to Kenneth Walker, who was looking like one of the league's best backs moving forward, I mean, that's legit. That, that was three – Four showings in a row. Obviously, we don't talk much about the Chiefs rushing attack too much, but what they did against that unit was yeah. great too. I mean, it was Patrick Mahomes or bust. So, I mean, I'm buying in. I'm bought in because they've done this without all of their pieces. They've done this without their top two safeties. So, yeah. I'm in. I'm buying in. What what they're doing against the run with their linebackers and that defensive front, it's, it's working, and I, I believe in it. I, I don't know if they're number one right. in the league. <laughs> you know, my numbers do funny things this, this early in the season, but – I'm also buying into them being very good against the run. I, I think I have more concerns against the pass, and we've seen a huge outburst 
the last two weeks from the pass rush, uh, what is it, 12 sacks now um, in the last two weeks alone. But we'll see if they can sustain that. But I like the body of work that they've that they've shown on the ground. And even when the run, even when the defense wasn't playing its best this year, they were still defending the run very well. I mean, I think Kansas City is a great example um, and held the, the Chiefs to 90 rushing yards. Again, maybe not the best mm-hmm. day ever defending the run, but it is Kansas City's worst day running the football. <laughs> All year, and it's been better every game since. And they've allowed, I think, sub 45 yards on the ground the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, first time in forever. I mean, the game against Green, Green Bay, 27 yards on the ground. And at some point, the Green, like the Packers just gave up, Ben. Yeah. Like they really, like the Lions imposed their will in that game. And I know the score dictated some of that, but. Um, 12 rushing attempts from, from Green Bay. <laughs> I mean, they just totally abandoned the run. I mean, yeah, there was just absolutely nothing. And it was two weeks in a row where, like, the Falcons and the Packers both tried a speed option on the Lions, and you just don't see that much. And even when you throw a different wrinkle like that, maybe even one that they weren't planning on seeing, they're just all over it. I mean, what they're doing with their defensive line, moving those pieces around, and what they're doing experimenting with Derek Barnes and Jack Campbell has played just a massive role, obviously in the pass rush too, but, like, they are set in the freaking edge, and Aline McNeil has been playing, like, one of the best interior talents in the league over these last two weeks, and that's just exactly what they needed. I mean, they they came out with the goal of being better against the run and continuing what they put out there last year, and so far, they've nailed it. Yeah, the last two weeks have been, I think, maybe the best two-week stretch we've seen from Ali McNeil in his career, you know, and there's been a lot of flashes along the way for for that guy. Um but just flashes. And I think that there is a building body of work for Lee McNeil that that shows that he has turned a corner. I think that weight loss has done him a lot of good. Um, and he's just, yeah, they, he's just blowing up the run at this point in the backfield. I remember when Green Bay finally got something going last week, Aline McNeil blew into the backfield for back-to-back plays, including a sack uh, of Jordan Love. Um, it's just been a really good stretch for for him. Uh, and Derek Barnes, I think probably, you mentioned him earlier, Ben, but I think he's, I mean, we've been, we've been calling that guy the most improved guy in the field since training camp. And yeah. now we're a month into the season. Is there a more improved player in Detroit? Like, I don't think that there is. No, absolutely not. I mean, the dude took a starting spot from a first-round pick. A lot of people, when you spend a top-20 pick on a linebacker like that, expect him to start. And he came out, took that spot, and he's proved that it was the smart move every step of the way. I mean, he has been four pressures through two weeks on 11 pass-rushing snaps, and he's been one of the surest hackers in the NFL. I wrote about Barnes yesterday. Got a ton of questions on our subtext service about that, too. And just, like, it's real. I mean... They showed patience with this kid. They developed him. They took a fringe edge rusher and turned him into a legit off-ball linebacker. And now they're tapping back into his skills that he showed in college. I mean, he is far and away the most improved player and one of the catamounts to this like defensive turnaround early in the season. Let's get to some mailbag questions, shall we? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's that time of the, of the week. <laughs> uh, lines back to work, and, and so are we. Um, open up the mailbag. First of all, um, shout out to the Chicago Bears for being the new laughing stock of the <laughs> NFC North. You just hate to see it. As far as J-Mo, Dan, Dan Campbell talked a lot about trust with J-Mo. How long do you think it takes for J-Mo to gain trust with Jared Goff so that J-Mo can be a regular uh, on the field instead of a gadget toy? That one comes from Raymond Nuznoff. What do you think on that front of, of J-Mo earning the trust of Jared Goff and when, when that'll happen? 
Yeah, it's all uh, it's all in Jamo's hands because I mean, Goff is proven with Laporta. He's proven with Gibbs that like, even if you're a new face, he will target you. He will trust you. But it is all. I mean, it's in Jamo's hands right now to earn that trust. Like Dan Campbell might have set that bar pretty low for Jamo returning yesterday just to be in the right spot and to be dependable. But like, that's what it's going to take to be there for Goff too, because you see Goff click with Khalif Raymond. You see Goff click with Josh Reynolds. You see what he's done with Laporta and Amon Ross St. Brown. And it's because he knows where those guys are going to be at all times. And maybe J-Mo's speed, we've been talking about this since they drafted him. Maybe that speed is going to take a minute for Goff to click with because there's just absolutely nothing like it. But like, I mean, this is in J-Mo's court now. If he comes out and he can prove he can be trustworthy, Goff's going to want to feed a player like that if he can get it clicking with him. So it's just being in the right spot. And, man, those hands, got to have an improvement out of those hands. But it's in, it's in his court. It could be day one if he, if he plays like it. Yeah, we've we've heard, you know, the, the speed is undeniable. Um, you know, the, the, there's so much that goes into playing receiver than, than just running real super fast, right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen some development from JML. We still need to see a lot more. I think it's fair to say just yeah. based on what we saw in training camp before they went down with the with the hamstring. But drops, as everyone knows, has been an issue throughout practice. It was an issue during games last year, practices last year. I mean, it's just something that's kind of dogged him, and he's got to shake. Um, even Dan Campbell has come out and said he might never be an elite pass catcher. So before you yeah. yell at me for, right. yeah. for, <laughs> for being hard on the kid, um, Dan Campbell's also been hard on the kid in, the, in, in this particular arena. Um, the other thing that Dan Campbell has mentioned a couple of times, Ben, is route definition. That that keeps coming up with JMO. Honestly, for me, it's dependability. That's it. Reliability, dependability, gonna lined up, get know where you're supposed to be. Uh, we, we're gonna get the depth out of you, and uh, and we can count on you to be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. And that's it. That's it. I'm not looking for yards. I'm not looking for explosives. Not looking for touchdowns. I look, man, just be a reliable receiver, like any of those guys in the room. That's it. And to me, that's a good year because we're about winning. It's not about one player, and that'll help us win. I, I think a lot of it comes down to JMO learning the route tree and being dependable and running those those routes like clockwork. It's not just a matter of how fast can you run. You got to be on the same page as your quarterback. That's a big reason we've seen Amon Ross St. Brown become the guy he is because every route was like clockwork. Jared Goff knows exactly where he's going to be uh, at any given time. And you hear that actually a lot about Sam Laporta as well since he's come in this year, Ben, right? Like mm-hmm. we've heard so much yeah. about those guys building trust together because Laporta just – he's a reliable route runner. And I don't know that JMO is that guy yet. That's something that he has to – obviously work on because coaches keep bringing it up and I think it leads to some of the inconsistencies that we've seen in terms of chemistry and of course I think at the end of the day it's going to lead to fewer targets going his way because Goff is going to have more trust in a guy like uh, St. Brown or Laporta knowing what those you know what those guys are going to be. Yeah, and I mean, I would just say this, temper your expectations for JMO because he's definitely going to be the fantasy talking point going forward on why they aren't looking at him. Going to take away some of that shade <laughs> that's been directed at Jameer Gibbs for sure. But yeah, I wouldn't expect too many targets out of the gate, but like you can't waste much more time on this kid. He's got to it's got to happen. I mean, this is the 12th overall pick more than a year ago. It's it's time to look like it a little bit. Yeah, that's the thing. And I know, you know, we've I think I I really feel like we've been fair to JMO in the with yeah. the with the Things that he does so well and the things he's obviously got to work on. I feel, you know, good about our body of work. And I know some people, some people, some people think that we're hard on him, Ben. Yeah. And I don't feel like I'm hard on him. This is a, a 12th overall pick. The, mm-hmm. the 
bar is super high for guys like that. And we're now, what, five games into year two, and he has one catch on nine targets to his name. And when we saw him last in training camp, he was repping with the twos. That was before the injury, and he was having a hard time making an impact. Mm-hmm. He was with the twos during the intra-squad scrimmage. He caught like two balls at the line of scrimmage, and that was it. In the preseason, he played 52 snaps against backups. Yeah. He caught, what, two passes for 18 yards? Yeah. Um, like, and I understand why he missed so much of his uh, first year with the ACL. He only started one season in college. So he, mm-hmm. I mean, he you know, he's just a really inexperienced guy. And so you would expect some of these struggles that, that we've seen. But he is a 12th overall pick. He is midway through year two now. You need to get at some point beyond the like, like look where the bar is. Dan yeah. Campbell saying the bar is at. We just want you to be dependable. We want you to know the playbook. We want you to know the route three and run the same route two times, three times in a row. Like he's a 12th overall pick. That's not where the bar should be. It, it, to me, hearing stuff like that, I think Dan Campbell is right in saying that, but it also it, it shows the lack of progress and development from Jamison Williams. And at some point, that guy's got to turn the corner. No, absolutely. And I mean, if you think we're being hard on him, just go pull up Chris Olave's PFR page, see what he's done. Yeah then come back and see what Jamo's done. And I mean, I know it's different situations, but like the bar is so glaringly low and that's troubling out of the gates for sure. Yeah. And it, it, it again, it, it shows the lack of development yeah. at this point and the lack of trust that he has or chemistry that he has. Yeah. Very well. just, just to go back to the question. And the question was, mm-hmm. when can we see that happen? It might happen this year, Raymond. Um, we both just but shrugged, it, not a vision medium. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> ben, I, I don't know. Like, like, we were hoping to see more last year, and it just wasn't yeah. there. And now he's missed a lot of time with injuries and the suspension this year. And now he's being kind of thrown into it. Like, no one was expecting him, I think, mm-hmm. to be uh, activated this week. Uh, Dan Campbell came out and said himself he's not going to be playing 60 snaps anytime soon, which itself, again, like it, it shows that he's going to be eased in. And when he was eased in last year, they were already a good offense and a lot of chemistry. Um, top five in the league. Right now, I think they're seventh or eighth in the league, somewhere in that range. They're humming. They just scored a million points in Green Bay without him. Goff clearly has great chemistry with um, Amon Ra, with Josh Reynolds. Um, There are opportunities behind those guys, and we're going to see J-Mo get some opportunities. But those guys are rolling. If J-Mo comes in and he can't run the right routes or run them at the right tempo um, and get with the offense, then they're not going to like disrupt what they have going already just to get a 12th overall pick on the field. That's just not what they're going to do. We've seen it with Jameer Gibbs, right? Like Jameer has had his spots for sure. But they love David Montgomery, and when the games have been on the line in the fourth quarter in Kansas City and Green Bay, they're riding David Montgomery. And they're going to do the same thing with, with J-Mo if he can't prove that he can be that reliable guy. Absolutely. And yeah, just uh, good questions this week from the subtax. Make sure you t- check that out. Dungeon of Doom Insiders Tax, four nine 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 a month, two-week free trial at Text with Kyle and I, and have a great time. That was a great promo, Ben. Thank you. Like, like a real pro. <laughs> I love it. I, I didn't have to do it then. <laughs> Just for a little like behind the scenes look, we both got texts right now in the middle of this recording from our boss reminding us to get the promo out there. That was very well done. All right. Well, speaking of chemistry. <laughs> you got five years of chemistry, baby. <laughs> okay. So Mendel uh, Spalter uh, asks, 
I think one thing this regime has struggled with is with their uber-talented skilled players like J-Mo and Gibbs. Guys who put in the work and become elite are perfect for this regime, but people who are born with next-level talent, they don't know what to do with them. If J-Mo gets traded, he will for sure be a 1,000-yard receiver somewhere else. It goes on and on. But, Ben, what are your thoughts on the regime's work that they've done with super-talented players like you know, J-Mo, for example? I mean... I don't, this is, you know, this feels like a fantasy influence question right here. I mean, Gibbs is four games in and they're using the crap out of him. I mean, I understand that he's not getting 25 carries a game and he's not getting 10 targets a game and he's not all over the field like we thought he would be, but it's four games in. And like, that's, that's chill on the talk about Gibbs being great. If he went somewhere else, he's four games into his career and through four games, he had more carries than Christian McCaffrey had in his first four games. So let's, let's all chill. On that now, JMO, I just think that he's an outlier because uh, I'm on St. Brown's been a pretty good skill position player that they drafted and develop. And I understand what you're talking about, like being with that crazy God given speed compared to a hard working grinder. But like, you can't blame this regime for JMO. He was injured last season, they got him into it last year. They were trying to make the playoffs, and he clearly wasn't one of their best options out there. They still found spots for him, and he still was, I mean, barring a a flag, a couple of flags and a miscue. I mean, he would have had like three touchdowns on nine touches. So I, I just don't buy into that because it's too early to tell on either of those guys, especially with Jamo, who was injured and then injured in camp when we were supposed to finally see him play football and then suspended. So, I mean, let's, let's cool the jets on that one. I think. I, I think player development has been one of the, like the, the greatest successes of this regime. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone always wants day three, uh, you know, gems or whatever that they find in the draft and something we never saw very much of over the years, right? Ben, like they, Mm -hmm. like previous regimes would take a a guy in the top five or 10. And a lot of times they would hit, you know, there were some good players that came in, but like you get later in the draft and there were so many misfires and it's like, Oh, Bob Quinn, blah, blah, blah. Or, or Martin Mayhew, blah, blah, blah. Like, but the thing is, is that player development goes hand in hand with like the draft process. And what we're seeing now, like, like yeah, they went and found an Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round. They went and found a James Houston in the, in the fourth round or fifth round or whatever it was. Yeah. It was sixth round. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, Impressive. Yeah, yeah no doubt. But Malcolm Rodriguez, sixth rounder who steps in and, mm-hmm. and starts well last year. Um, like they're fine, finding dudes, you know, Um but they're not just finding guys and plugging them in. Like, like they're developing the yeah. skill set, but they also have like good fields of vision for how the, you know how these players will be used over time and stuff. So it all goes hand in hand. And I think player development is synced up very nicely with the the draft evaluation process. It seems like everything is like you know like in unison. Um, so I guess the question is asking not about the player development of like guys down the board, but like these super talented guys, right? And so, like, I, I heard that question. And I just think two words, Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, yeah. He's the highest draft pick of the whole regime, number mm-hmm. two pick, uber talented guy. And he was the runner up for defensive rookie of the year last year, led all rookies in sacks. Right now, he leads all players in pressures. I mean, he's just killing it. He's top 10 in sacks, even though I don't think he had any in the first, what, two, three yeah. games, something like that. Yeah. So, I don't really have any doubts or concerns whatsoever no. when it comes to the player evaluation and player development of this regime. That's true at the bottom of the draft. And for me, it's, it's true at the top of the draft. Obviously, though, you want more out of JMO, and JMO is not. It's clear when Dan Campbell comes out and says, we just need this guy to be dependable and reliable and run the route we tell him to. And you're like, what, 
20 whatever games into his his tenure as a 12th overall pick clearly it's not going the way you thought it was going to it hasn't happened so far but i don't i think that's the outlier to uh, what they've been able to do in the draft because what they've been able to do in the draft has been great up and down yeah i mean you say aiden hutchinson and i can even add a panay sewell and i know he's not a skill player but the kid was 20 freaking years old starting at left tackle as a rookie and looking like he belonged and now he's looking like one of the freaking best offensive linemen of this league moving forward for the next 10 years. So I would just say yeah, still on Gibbs. Yeah. We'll see on JMO, obviously rookie, rough start, but like zero, zero concerns about the draft or the developmental process of this regime. Yeah. I have concerns about JMO. Yeah. I have and, and they, and they yeah. grow by the week, but mm-hmm. like it's nothing he can't overcome. No. He hasn't reached like any, anything like that. We're not, no one's sitting here calling him a bust. I mean, no. the kid is like, he's, played what seven eight games at this point something like that uh in his career and barely practiced so these are also some of the things that are holding him back and he's got to get the experience but tbd on on jmo but i think the body of work speaks for itself that these guys know how to draft and develop and that stuff's all synced up very nicely it's not it guys covering the lines ben like my entire career i didn't have a full appreciation for how those two things synced up between player development uh, and 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 the actual draft process itself, you know, like yeah. I just oh, okay, you drafted DeAndre Levy, he turned into a pretty good player. Um, that's a draft success. Oh, uh, T. Stabor didn't develop, like that's a draft draft failure. But now that I have covered Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell, and I see what they do, they they go in the draft and they aren't just like evaluating the player based on uh, you know the measurables and everything else, the tape, whatever. Like they're they're trying to project how does this guy fit into what we do. Mm-hmm. And like, can we develop him? And then they have a really good coaching staff in place to work on um, their games and so forth. Like, it's not just a matter of is he good or not coming out of the draft. It's like, how does he fit into the hierarchy of what we're trying to do? And I think the synergy that they have going on between Brad Holmes and his staff, then Dan Kibble yeah. and his staff, I think that in particular says a lot about their ability to go find a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown at like pick 112 or whatever and then turn him into a superstar. Absolutely. And I mean, that's just the Brad Holmes effect. I mean, a college scouting director for as long as he was, he gets in the big chair and he knows what he probably yeah. would have liked to have in his position in previous steps. John A. likes to, would, would like to ask, um, hi guys, how much of an upgrade will Emmanuel Mosley be to our secondary over what we have now? Uh, Mosley, if you don't know, he um, is a cornerback from San Francisco. From, he played for the 49ers the past couple of years, was signed to free agency, ha- has not played yet for the Lions because of... Um, Recovering from an ACL, had then had a second surgery over the offseason, then got a hamstring injury when he started practicing for Detroit. So it hasn't gotten a lot of practice time, um, but he is expected to make his Lions debut on Sunday against Carolina. So, Ben, is he an upgrade? How is he an upgrade? Like, what are your expectations for Emmanuel Mosley? I think he is an upgrade. I mean, whenever this guy's been healthy, he has been a very, very dependable CB2. And Jerry Jacobs had a great game last week, but he has looked rough in some zone looks. And they've been dipping into that zone pocket a little more this year. And I think getting Mosley in there allows you to play your guys in spots that they're the most strong at. And I mean, Mosley, he seems to be someone that can do it all. Man coverage, zone coverage, just a rock solid number two. And I mean... Through his five only games of the season last year for the 49ers, I think PFF had him 16th or 17th in coverage. I mean, this guy is rock solid. He's not an uber athlete. He's not going to run anyone out of the gym. But, like, he's just one of those guys that knows how to keep space with receivers, keep pace with receivers, and just knows how to cover. And I think we talk about the only 
like red flags we have with this defense right now, and it is the secondary. I mean, you get another potential CB two in there to mix in with Jerry and move around. That that's that's a win for this group. If he's if he's any of the player he looked like he was last year, the last five years in San Francisco, that's a that's an upgrade to the CB room right there. I'll run some numbers past you that shocked me when I when I ran across them uh, when Mosley first signed here back in the offseason. He allowed a 69.8 quarterback rating the last two seasons, which yeah. is eighth best in the league. He's top 10 cover corner essentially the last two years. Started for the, the 49ers during their Super Bowl run, picked off Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship game. I mean, this guy, the numbers tell a tall tale about what kind of cover corner he is. People just don't know who he is because of the injuries. He's missed so many games. I think 16, 17 games the last two years because of injuries, most recently the ACL. That really suppressed his value in free agency. And that's how he wound up here with like a six or seven million dollar deal because it's like a prove it deal for um for Mosley and coming here to prove that these numbers are for real and he wants to find some big money. Um Jerry Jacobs says, you know, as much as we like Jerry and especially his demeanor on the field and what he brings to that defense and everything. Jerry's never had numbers like that. And right now, I think he played pretty well in Green Bay. He had the two picks, obviously. But like he's had some struggles this year uh, in coverage. He's had some struggles with penalties. I think Mosley, once he's healthy and his wind is up, I think he's an upgrade. I, I mean, even the size. You know, he has the length that Detroit wants uh, on the on the perimeter, and Jerry just doesn't. Um, I think Mosley fits the scheme very well. Like you said, I think he plays zone or man. Uh, and when he's been out there and healthy for the 49ers, he was a very, very good number two corner for one of the best defenses in the league. UDFA, by the way, became an instant starter almost uh, for one of the best defenses in the league. Really good numbers. And I think he's going to be a, a plus add for Detroit once he's out there and fully healthy, Ben, which might take up you know a couple of weeks. He might rotate with Jerry a little bit, platoon a little bit. Until he's um, full speed, it's been like a year, a calendar year since he's played. But that time's coming, and when he's full wind, Ben, I think that he's going to be the the line's number two corner. Yeah, I do too. I mean, Dan pretty much said the same with him. Don't expect sixty snaps anytime soon, but like, especially with the the double whammy setback on coming back from an ACL injury. But like, that that's a that's a. I mean, I think they saw how well that dude fits into what they want to do when they signed him. I mean. They have him in the fold early in the season. It's him one-on-one with Lockett with the game on the line and not Jerry. And like you said, we like Jerry. We like some of the things he does, but like he's just not a standalone on an island CB2 to the potential that Mosley is on paper. Cam Jones wants to know, what casino are we all planning on staying at in Vegas in February? For those who don't know, the Super Bowl is in Vegas in February. Um, Hitting sort of, Cam says, uh, but what's one position group? Do you th- that you think has had the biggest impact on the vastly improved run defense? Ben, you and I hit on the run defense um, at the top, but what do you think has been the, the best position group in terms of um, taking the pass rush I, I, or a, a run defense that was, I believe, 29th last year or somewhere thereabouts, uh, and that is number one through the first month of this season? You know, I, I really do think it's that improved linebacker rotation. And, I mean, Alex Anzalone has remained rock solid. Derek Barnes has been just money against the run. And, I mean, whenever you get Malcolm Rodriguez and Jack Campbell in those looks, too, they've been good against the run. That's what Malcolm is. I mean, Malcolm would be starting for a lot of teams in this league for what he can do against the run. He's not going to give you much in coverage. But, like, just having four NFL-level linebackers in that rotation, move them around, get the pairings different, I think that's just been – absolutely huge to pair with that uh, defensive line, obviously the last two weeks, but like since the start, I've been very impressed with the linebackers, all four of them that see ample playing time. The linebacker play has taken a dramatic jump 
um, across the board. Um, I think that good run defense always starts up front. That might be a like boring cliche thing to say, um, but we haven't always seen adequate run defense up front from Detroit. And I think that was especially true last year. And for as good as a guy like Aiden Hutchinson was, I think he was over eager, over aggressiveness, uh, over aggressive in the, in the pass rush. Uh, even in the run defense and teams deployed that against him. You saw all the time where he was breaking containment on the edge. Um, I think this year you're seeing way better, way more assignment sound football from the front. And it's allowing guys to crash pockets, to plug holes. And it just has a domino effect that obviously spills over to the linebackers. And they have more op- you know, opportunities to make plays near the line of scrimmage, uh, behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of that stuff too, Ben. Um but it starts up front, and in particular, like I don't, I don't remember. It's been many years since I saw this level of interior defensive line play. And we talked about Aleem McNeil at the top. Aleem has been way better this year, and so I think. And we even last week we saw a lot of good stuff. I think from Isaiah Bugs, who started slow this year, wasn't even active the first couple of weeks of the season. Boom, he has a sack in Green Bay. Was good in run defense. Yeah, and just to your point on the Hutchinson thing, I think that's why we've seen so much read option and speed option stuff on the Lions is because of that film from last year. It's like, let's catch this kid trying to take a quarterback's head off, and he's just, with the rest of the edge room, has shown just a better level of discipline. I mean, got to give a shout-out to Kaminsky, too. What he's been able to offer going Mm -hmm. inside and outside, that's so valuable for this defensive line. Same with Hutchinson, too. More looks on the interior for him this year, too, and it just, that's that depth that we talked about all off-season long. Not only does it make him ready next man up for an injury, but it lets you move these pieces around more. And it really lets Aaron Glenn attack the full vision of what he wants this defense to be. So I really just give him a ton of credit for just having the guts to continue to move their players around, whether a star like Hutch or like a the glue player like the commish. I mean, it's just been a wonderful plan through four weeks. Dan Campbell called him the sec- called commish the uh, secret sauce to the defense this week, it. which I thought was <laughs> an apt description. He's not necessarily a star or household name, but just seems to always be making plays um, in the background and um, certainly a good player for that defense. All right. Joe Maloney wants to ask, uh, is Broderick Martin's pad <laughs> level improving? Uh, the rookie uh, interior defensive lineman. Um, and will we see him anytime soon? Also, didn't see too much of Levi Anzarike. What do you think of well, – let's take him one at a time, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um Martin's pad level is improving. Do you think we'll see him anytime soon? Here's the thing on practice this time of year. Once training camp ends, our practice window goes from 15 minutes of stretching for attendance purposes. So I can't give you a full update on Broderick Martin's pad level, but uh, <laughs> I love the questions like mm-hmm. that. But uh, I'll just say, I mean, I feel like I'm not going to compare him to James Houston, but I wouldn't be – compare or uh, excuse me uh, uh surprised to see maybe him get deployed a little down the stretch maybe week eight week nine but they've had some time to work on him and to the second question point maybe he takes levi's reps just because levi hasn't had much of an impact yet snaps have continued to go down but uh i think it's still wait and see mode on martin especially when benito jones and bugs have been rock solid twos and threes behind mcneil and you get all that inside outside versatility but uh Third round pick that they traded up a bunch of picks for. So, I mean, I feel like we're going to see him before too long, but uh, I don't think there's a rush to the pocket for him. No, yeah, and they they were pretty clear when they took him and every step along the way that he was a project pick, that it would take some time. And, I mean, Ben, we saw on, like, the first day of pad work, the 
the raw skills they're working with. I mean, he bowled over Frank Ragnow. You don't see that every day. I mean, Frank Ragnow was one of the best centers in the league, and Frederick Martin just drove him, put him on the ground. But we talked. I mean, I talked to Frank coming off the field that day, and as somebody thought, and Frank was like, "He's a good player. He needs to work <laughs> on his pad level." It was a little salty. <laughs> but it's the same thing we've been hearing every step of the way, and yeah. we're still seeing it now. And and Martin hasn't played yet, and I don't think that's a huge surprise. You know, I, I mean, he's just a guy who played college ball at North Alabama, mm-hmm. at Western Kentucky, that plays too high, and he, like he's massive too, so that you can understand that he's like six foot six or something, like I don't know, three forty. Like he plays high, but when he does learn to play low. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a force, and and that's what they're working on. But like you said, we just can't see where he's at in that progress um, because at this point, you're basically just doing an attendance report out of practice for 15 minutes and don't really get to see anything meaningful football wise. Um, as for Levi Anzarike, so I have it right here, Ben. He played 22 defensive snaps in the opener. Uh, he's averaged 11 per game since. That's half. His playing time is down half from the three games since. Three pressures on 36 pass rush reps, um, no hits, no sacks, one assisted tackle on the yeah. season. So he's MIA, basically. He's not doing much. He's an interior pass rusher who's not rushing the passer effectively. Um, I do have concerns about what his place is in the rotation once um, bodies are coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not that he's he and Martin are the same types of players. They're not, but... When they need a roster spot to take from the interior, I don't think anyone's playing less effectively right now than, than Levi Anzarika. And that's a big disappointment because we really saw some good stuff uh, from him as training camp wore on. Yeah, his roses through training camp, those were not participation roses. I mean, he looked like an actual NFL player ready to make an impact. There was pass rush. There was, I mean, he got in with the ones in that hyper-physical scrimmage to end camp and just looked like he belonged out there. So it's been a little disappointing not even to see much of a start out of him so yeah, I mean, you want to you want to talk about a spot for Martin, like you said, they're not the same player, but like one down, one up. I, I I could see that coming in maybe the next month or so. But yeah, a little disappointing start for Levi. But kind of thought he was going to be ready to spark. Joseph Martin asks, despite the Lions' early success and all the promise for the season, do you still get 2024 draft questions? Uh, I I believe we just did, Ben. No, <laughs> we, yeah. we just you got a draft Joe. question. <laughs> But it did it. I don't really have anything meaningful to say to this question from Joseph, but like it is interesting to think about what we're usually getting question wise this time. Like this, like week five, it's usually like, what the hell is happening? Is there any saving this team? And then within a couple of weeks time, they're out of it. And you do, you just, you start getting those draft questions. And I don't think that we've gotten a single one. It's crazy to see like where the conversation has gone, which is obviously from I mean, we I've seen week five draft questions before covering this team personally. And right now they're like one of the trendiest, most buzzy teams in the whole league. They just got another game flexed in two weeks. I mean, it's gonna be a lot of late bedtimes for the the M Life crew. Absolutely. No, no, this was it. This is the first draft question I've seen. And I mean, to his to his point, to your point, I mean, I've uh, I've been pinged by our bosses to do early November draft previews. So uh, it's been a welcome addition this year for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's gets focus on the season. What a thought. <laughs> As a Lions beat writer, I'm just not used to it. <laughs> it's that really old saying, right? Like the the, the draft is a Lions Super Bowl or something. Exactly. But I, I just looked it up today, Ben. Do you want to guess where the Lions Super Bowl odds are these days? Well, I actually don't know this one. Yeah. I think 
don't 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 uh don't quote me on this Betty pick sixth best or seventh best in the league. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean it's deserving, but still crazy. Uh. Well, the thing has been like we've seen hot streaks before, right? Yeah. It's like you know, someone gets hot, somebody you know, something somebody gets hot, whatever. Um but you can't sustain that. The NFL is too, it's too there's too much parity, there's too many good players, like the season's too long, there's too many injuries. What you love about the Lions is the same. It's the same thing you and I have been talking about this since the summer on this very podcast, which is depth. They're so much deeper than we've ever seen, and now you're seeing it. The winning games with Jared Goff's arm, the win- the putting away games with David Mon- uh, David Montgomery on the ground, and when David Montgomery goes out, Jameer Gibbs is in there in the fourth quarter helping put away Atlanta. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 they're stopping the pass. They're defending the run as well as anybody in the league. I mean, they can win games in so many different ways. Put games away. Uh, in so many different ways. It can play so many different styles of games. It can match up against so many styles of teams. And when you lose a CJ uh, Garner-Johnson, Tracy Walker can go in there and play really well. When you lose a, a, a Vitae at right guard, Graham Glasgow can go in there and play really well. When you got an emergency rookie playing at right tackle, yeah. he can go in there and tread water. I mean, this is what good teams do. It's the NFL. It's a cluster F sometimes. You need to be deep. You need to be like multifaceted, and that's exactly what the lines are. So, like, am I sitting here saying they're going to make the Super Bowl? Like, no one can say that. But San Francisco and Philadelphia are the class of the NFC. And I think the Lions are right there in the next tier of of teams. And to to, to that end, Ben, this team does have a shot. It, like, as much as we make Super Bowl jokes and draft jokes and everything else, like, this team does have a shot. No, they're absolutely in that next group, like, with the Cowboys of, like, Okay, they yeah. could beat anybody. They could beat anybody playing their best. They play in Dallas in Week 17, by the way. Yep. <laughs> yep, trying <laughs> to get me to that you one. You better get your behind on it. It'll be a long night. That's, I think, uh, Chris, I think that's uh, New Year's Eve in prime time. Let's go. Again, way past MLI's bedtime. Uh, okay, Ben, we have to get to the locker room here in a second. Um, good stuff. We'll be back. Uh, Lions, Panthers, um, on Sunday at Ford Field. The podcast will be gearing back up for that one so uh stay tuned i guess for this first place team uh as they try to make a, a i mean a super bowl run i guess ben right absolutely and i mean panthers box back to back i mean that's a chance yeah. to get to five and one man and that's huge this has been ben raven and kyle mikey of m lives detroit lions people Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.